In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me. Clara, how are you? I'm so happy to be here and chat with you. It is such an honor to have you here. You're a serial entrepreneur. You've got quite a story and can't wait for you to share it. And now like my opening question, which is always the most complicated and the most loaded question is, what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? That's a fantastic question. And if you open with that, they just, you know, plant, I guess, woman. I'm an entrepreneur that likes solving problems, pretty much. Like if the problem is not solved, then you have to jump and solve it. That's pretty much how I take care of things. But also um, the need to make things better, right? So my last company placed me, was a co-living company that helped young professionals have an affordable living in the city. Because I believe that, I believe in access to opportunity. And for me, Real estate is a great equalizer in terms of access to wealth, right? So my first thesis in my previous company was, you know, living in a big city should not be this expensive. It's unfair that someone has to pay $10,000 to find a place to live. So if you don't have that, you cannot go to school. You don't have that, you cannot have a job. It's insane. Mm -hmm. So we try to solve that problem, having access to opportunity by having a shared housing and a flexible price, right? So it's always about trying to solve a problem in this case, access to opportunity in big cities. The next problem that I'm trying to solve and then I'm going to take a while to think about is how we can make housing accessible for minorities and immigrants when they compete for offers in a, such a real estate such a competitive real estate market. So yeah. I'm thinking how to bring technology to that to make offers and access to funding a more equitable than it is now. But that will take me a while. So it's always about how to solve problems that are still there. Interesting. So how did you get into the real estate space? What inspired you in, in that world to go down that route? You know, I have no idea that I was so keen to real estate until I moved to Boston back in 2012 mm -hmm. <laughs> to do my MBA. And always been an early user or early adopter of technology in, in every sense. And I find out, you know, about Airbnb, you know, back in the day. And I used to live in a very nice place in um, East Cambridge near MIT in Boston. And we have a space in the living room that is, you know, we put this and with my roommate, let's put this in Airbnb and say, hey, let's give it a try. We made $10,000 in one season and we couldn't believe it. <laughs> After that, I became passionate about how is this possible? The mix between location, price and needs for people to solve problems. And that's how I got started. And then I got recruited by a, a friend of mine that was starting a company trying to do a relocation for internationals. Mm -hmm. Because when someone like me, you know, moves to a city and they don't have a social security yet, they come to do a master's degree or um, to get a job and they don't have a social yet or they don't have a credit score. Access to rent an apartment or to rent a place to live is so complicated. So yeah. we created a platform to try to solve that problem. And in the meantime, I get to meet so many um, big employers, large educators that bring all that people to the city. And it was quite fantastic story. We broke our own website. <laughs> yes, that was interesting. But my lesson there is done. If you're not ready to rock and roll, then just don't light the switch. 
but that's so interesting so you found a niche so basically you moved to boston because i think it, you came for your mba right at the hulk i didn't do my mba in Harvard, but it wasn't hold business school oh, yeah yeah Hult yeah. business school yeah yeah yeah, yeah Hult business school so you came here in 2012 and so you airbnb'd your your unit and made don't tell my landlord though <laughs> <laughs> no, he knows right now <laughs> Ten thousand dollars a season—that's amazing. And then that sort of led you into that realm. That's so interesting. So tell me about before you came to Boston. What did you coming here? Like, what did you study in college back home? Tell me a little bit about that story. Your story there too. Sure. I went for journalism and media back in the day in Medellin. Oh. If you ever seen a movie about Medellin, it's never like they show it. It's more like much better, more cooler, more inspirational place. So I wanted to tell stories or help people tell stories. I used to have my radio show, you know, back in the day in when I was doing studying journalism. And then I became very good at, at two things, helping other people tell the stories. So I became a, like a PR person for artists and musicians. So I have a PR company. And then I have, um, I translated all that into the world publishing. So I became the business development person for a publishing company representing Latin America. Because at the end, book authors are like rock stars too. And they just want to tell the story. They all have, you know, an ego that needs to be brushed. So I became really good at sharing stories that made me passionate about something. And I was doing actually really well. And I have to one company, another one. But then I, at the end of the day, I say, look, if I really want to sit on the table, I need to complete my this part of my education. And that's what I, I really wanted to do on MBA. Because I felt that even though I knew what I do really well, like telling a story and how does how the impact of what you do brings uh, value to the company or to a company, mm. unless you have a complete education and you like take a step back and look at the whole strategy, then you don't know what you really do. So I needed to learn how to take that step back and be able to integrate everything that I know to see the whole picture. Mm. And that's why I moved to Boston. That's so interesting. So you grew and up it was crazy in Colombia, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, my MBA was crazy. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, because I chose to do it just for a year instead of two. So it was very intensive. And it was with people from 78 countries. So when I landed in, in Boston, in my classroom, they just divided, you know, name tanks and people in teams. So my first team had an engineer from India, accountant person from Brazil, a military guy from Korea, from South Korea, another engineer like mining company from Sweden. And then you have the crazy Colombian baby that you used to manage rock bands, right? <laughs> and then they give you a, you know, a case study. Hey, this is a hard case study. You have 48 hours to solve it. Okay. <laughs> so it, it was really intensive, but it made me, it made me a whole new person. And I'm very thankful for that. Wow. Okay. So, so you were in Colombia before you came to Boston. Yes. I'm Colombian. Originally yeah. from Colombia. Beautiful. I have a good friend who's from Colombia and her family is so great. And they're also from Medellin and they're just, the greatest people they're so sweet and they live here um they live in medford so my well, now you have two now i have two yes and they're the most lovely people so you know tell me about your your experience like growing up in like a different country is because like for me i was like albania to italy to here so oh i remember God. coming here it was like a total culture shock you know being like in so many different ways so share your experience about you know growing up in colombia sure. and then coming here and just seeing all the all the differences. I guess I'm a, the daughter of an entrepreneur that way. My dad used to have, a, you know, the biggest bakery in the neighborhood. So he wake up every day at 3 a.m. to like, you know, have all the goods ready for people to come in the store like at 6, 7 a.m., whatnot. And he always has his own business. No one else is, you know, telling him what to do, if you will. So I learned helping him 
and learn by helping him and doing him all like my childhood until my teenager years. And he sold the business and he bought a coffee farm. So I always say that, you know, one of my biggest picks is coffee because I'm like very picky about my coffee. It has to be Colombian coffee, but it has to be like real good Colombian coffee. And um, when I was growing up, I will never care about the coffee. I only care about the coffee later, you know, when I, when I went to college. So I moved out from that town with my family lived to Medellin, the big city, to our college. And then, you know, independence and uh, all that part. I must say that it was not my first time coming to, I mean, I came to the U.S. many times for work until like that, but not long term. So yeah. I think the biggest shock culturally wise is the U.S. has, has a culture of independence and even individualism. That is very strong, whereas our culture is use family and do things together as a team first. That was for me like the biggest shock. Like you do you, I do me. You're like, wait, we're here together to do this together. So it, that's for me like the biggest part. You can think about how the food is different, that is very different, and how the access to opportunity here is bigger than somewhere else. Because if you're an entrepreneur and you fail in Latin America, you will never get investment back here. Entrepreneurs that fail are celebrated and then give you money again. And I can, we can name a list of 10 entrepreneurs that have failed and, you know, investors give them money again. Really? In- yeah, like Tra- Travis Calacanis from, uh, like this guy from Uber, like even larger entrepreneurs, investors like them better because they say they, you know, they know what mistakes not to make and their money will be in better, in better hands. And it happened to me too. We have not gone into this part yet, but when I closed the, the merger and acquisition of my company due to the pandemic in the previous September, yeah. all my investors told me, I will invest in you again because you're doing the right thing. Wow. So I don't know if we'll, that will have happened in another country, but it speaks to me, well, not only of the, the job I did as a CEO of my own company, but also of how investors think. Well, that's fascinating because, you know, the fact that you said that it's so the individualism that that I saw too. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like in Europe, it's very family oriented. Everything you do together, like it's, and it's still that way for, for me yeah. and my family. But I've that's noticed it. that in, in sort of societal culture. But like the interesting thing is that, you know, that people are not, they're trained not to fail, which I think is so freeing when you know, like, okay, this failure is just a lesson. But if you feel like you're going to be punished for those, failures or you know that you're less than because of that you know you tend to put yourself down and I think that's what gets people in big depressions and like things like that in the United States meaning so I think it's beautiful that in Colombia it's the total opposite it's like no no it's okay we're human like I wish that mentality translated here because I think it would save so many people so much heartache and yeah. so much depression and so much anxiety, you know, because they feel like they have to, everything has to be perfect, perfect, perfect. That's so interesting. Yeah, there's a huge disparity, I will say, mental health-wise, in how that access to communication, to access your, your, your own emotions and like the support of your close circle that, you know, it'll be okay, you know, we'll get through this, helps your mental health, supports your mental health versus, you know, what you encounter here in the professional setting, like you have to do it right and you don't be failed, don't disappoint me and like, and the social imaginary pressure that you have now, you know, reputation-wise, that is, um, it, it creates, it creates a completely different environment. Yeah, for sure. Especially for people like, oh, it's not like, you know, right. you come from another country now, you have proved yourself not once, but twice. Yeah. So like, what was that transition into being here long-term like? Because I mean, you're going from like two different worlds. Oh, well, I was so lucky though. Lucky in the sense that, well, not, not only entering a business school that is very international in that sense that. That but landed a place to live with fantastic roommates. Ten minutes walking to the school, so everything else was new to us. How to? I never lived with roommates before. 
<laughs> so like how to live with roommates and it was interesting because everybody has different cultures so mm -hmm. we didn't know simple things like that you need to take the linda or the dryer machine my friend from india she has someone that does the laundry for her my other friend my other roommate in her family there is a maid the living maid that does laundry and i used to have a laundromat service so they just pick up my clothes bring them back so we never had to do with <laughs> With the dryer machine, but it's not because it was, it's just a cultural thing, and since that's you know many years, so it's it's just a lot of cultural shock really quickly. So I would say it's like a high, like endorphin high, because at the same time it's meeting all these people, and you have all these very stressful, you know, Harvard, Harvard or MIT papers that you have to rediscuss and get back in class. Yeah. So it's incredibly, the first year is incredibly intense, very intense. But I, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. I enjoy it a lot. And I still have very good friends with that group, with that group from my business school. That's awesome. So it's like basically because you have that community, you were able to sort of transition a lot easier than if you were to come <laughs> by yourself. And, uh, oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. The, the hardest part is when everybody graduates and leave and only a half of the post stays, like, you know, 10, 20 people. Like, oh, where did all my family went? So you have to reassess who you are and reassess uh, your new circle, who is going to be. And, you know, so that's, I guess, another challenge for the immigrant because you don't feel like going back to your house or going to your country, but you need to build something here. But then your support system is gone. Yeah. So it's a, it's a new rebuild once again. So, it, yeah, I think it's a lot of resilience. Like we all have a lot of resilience, don't you think? Absolutely. Oh, I totally agree. Because to come to a new country and, and reinvent yourself and basically establish yourself and establish your roots here. I mean, that's a challenging thing, right? And then not only did you do that, but you also built a business here. So like walk me through how how you've done three. Yeah, you've built many businesses here. <laughs> so it's like three like, and starting the fourth. So wow. Yeah. But like, see, that's amazing though. Like, because you started with one. Like, walk me through like. How did you just go ahead and do that? Because it's like, well, because I have no shame. Like, yeah, <laughs> I have no shame and know what you want. Uh, <laughs> I guess, to be completely honest, I never click with the how to get a job in the US kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, not that my resume is bad, it's just like, you know, the preparation for the interview and the cover letter. Like, eventually, you just get sick of it. <laughs> like, eventually. So that's one, right? But, and I always have been. I guess a people person. So I used to love to go to see a Cambridge Innovation Center and all these areas to do a lot of networking and get to meet new people and use inspiration, like what I'm going to do next and, you know, am I going to have an internship? What's it going to be? And then um, I met in one of these events my first co founder, Ernesto. He was building actually a platform to bring those international credit scores to the US. So people will bring their credit worthiness to the US instead oh, of saying, wow. who are you? You can, like, just, you know, I'm come back from Mexico, from India. In India, my credit score is 800. I want the same, you know, the same treatment here. Wow. Then, and we start having conversation about that. And then we find out that it's incredibly expensive. And it was an early startup. He couldn't raise the funds. So he pivoted into this, into Trotter, which was the startup I was the chief marketing officer about the relocation platform that I was mentioning before. How to help that people. And and he hired me because I already knew about real estate because of my Airbnb my experience. And then I get to meet a lot of real estate agents all over the country, uh, bringing them to our platform. We did really well, I think, for a year or so. We were like a postino startup to watch, entrepreneurs to watch, and all those vanity metrics, right? But one of the things that we didn't learn well is how to make money out of it. 
we were giving all these people, all our customers access to leads and good um, brokers that will help them yeah. get their apartment. But we don't know how to charge the agents or the agents pay us for, you know, when they close the transaction. And the technology was not there to secure the transaction. So like, oops. So we eventually, it's called run it out of runway. So we run out of money. And then my, my co-founder was about to take a job at Google anyway. So like, ah, oh, no. So we closed the company, company number one. But I, I learned a lot about how bringing people to the city. In the second one, Renhop still exists. It's a New York white uh, company. They wanted to open a branch in the city of Boston. They are pretty much an advertising platform for uh, for brokers, property managers, whatnot. But here, the demand is such big for, for housing because there is such a searcher for housing. There is not enough housing in the city accessible or anywhere that there was not what I can call a product market fit. You know what I mean? Why? Because there is no brokers that they just need to pay for advertising because the amount of people seeking housing is bigger than the space. So they, they don't need it. So it was not a, well, we can, it wasn't a fit. But when I was doing that, I made my first co-founder mind that, Give me the idea. What if instead of people having to pay for last deposit, you know, broken fee for an apartment, they just paid last person's deposit, rent the room, a room with all utilities included for the time that they need to stay. And I like, woo. I mean, four years ago, that was genius. Now it's like, it's everywhere. <laughs> four years ago, I was like, wow, that's genius. We started, um, I think at the end of 2016, we did a trial run for a couple, um, with a couple of properties and we sold out in two weeks. And I say, wow, we might be onto something. So let's keep going. That became my latest company, Place Me. Place Me. We were able to do $2 million in less than, in less than two years in, in just in revenue. We became the largest co-living company in Boston. We acquired competitors, Bedley, the Boston operation. But when the pandemic came, right? We were, and we were in track a year ago to make 3.6 million in revenue. But then the pandemic came, a big percentage of my customers have to leave because airports are closed and pandemic. And even though we have access to, to credit, it was very hard for us to stay open just because we don't know when people is coming back. The same as a restaurant and things like that. Like there is no certainty for us. Or was no certainty to right. that gave us a runway enough, long enough to sustain us until we knew, right? That, so what we did was change the business model a little bit from masterly from rent an apartment to share the revenue, like a management model with the landlords. And I found a local company that does similar but different. And we created a merging and acquisition. They acquired Thankfully, my employees, so no one lost their job, and landlords, tenants all went with them, and I was able to recoup some of the money back from my investors, so they were happy, and I'm, I'm happy the transaction went this way. Give me the freedom to start again. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. What, what I love is, like, your fearlessness and just, like, going out and doing it and not being afraid. And you're like, I'm just going to figure this out. And you did it. There's people here in the United States who won't even do that. And then you came here to a different country and you were just like, nope, I'm going to do it. I see an opportunity. I'm just going to do it. I don't know something about immigrants. Cause it's like the same way too, with me. I was just like, why not? Somebody else has done a business before. I can do a business too. Like whatever, you know, like let's exactly. just go do it. You know, and I tell people, I'm like, it just takes hustle. Like if you're a hustler and you're fearless, why not? You know, like why not? And it's like, here you are like taking things like opportunity by the horns and just being like, yep, let's go. Do you think we have, maybe it's because we had less to lose that we take such risk? 
I think so. I think so. Well, I think like also too, like, you know, when we think about things that, you know, we come from places where we've seen people truly have nothing. So we know what that's like, you know, understand that we're blessed. And so for us to go in, it's like, okay, well, we're in the U S like the land of opportunity. Like we have all the tools to do so. What do we have to lose? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where it kind of stems from. So it's so interesting. I'm just fascinated by you. I love how you handled like even, and thank you so much for sharing that about your story that even so COVID things didn't go the way that you wanted it to but you may had to make a pivot and ultimately you know it worked out for the better because now you have an open slate and you're working on some amazing stuff everything happens for a reason so I think it stems back to you know what you were saying in Colombia that like failures and not really failures they're just lessons in life but these things are really beneficial because then it just helps you get on to the next thing and on to the next thing so I just I commend you for not being afraid going out there and doing it and then you know to talk about your pivots and to now say hey I'm here in this space where I'm I'm still learning and we're still doing and it's just exciting and refreshing to see because you know oftentimes like in society here in the U.S. like you know we see women really afraid to take action and really afraid you have more to lose by not doing it. And I say that all the time. What do you want to do? Look back 10, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now and say, Oh, I wish I did this. One of the things I'm passionate about is about public speaking. I love just sharing my story or helping people. I used to have a talk called failure is fantastic. Like F and F failure is fantastic. And then, you know, why failure is good. You fail forward. And now, okay, I'm, I don't have my company anymore. And it's sad because I lost, you know, like my baby, like three years or so. But now I have the ability to bring my life to another level. And then been working really hard in creating this next level for me and, and designing how this next level of life is going to be for me and for everybody, you know, around me because it has to be much better than before. Financially wise, time management wise, rewarding wise. You can only be wiser. You only learn and learn. So now I'm like ready to finally explore my full potential. And I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited for you too. Yeah. That's so amazing. Uh, plan. Celebrating. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was going to say, like, what are your biggest tips to success when it comes to anybody who wants to start a business or anything like that? What, what would be your suggestions and your best tip? Everybody can start a business, but it's, it's not about the idea. It's never about the idea. It's about execution right it's all about you can be fantastic in in your brain but if you don't take action and execute then you're not being different then you're not moving forward so it's always about making progress even if that progress is little but it's progress Mm -hmm. that you know sitting on your couch and six season of chips clicking netflix which i have done so far (laughs) but it's like what is that you really want decide what you want listen to your heart what you want Go back, sit down and do the numbers, you know, which business, how much it's going to cost, whatever it is. Seek a mentor if you can, and then just go do it because no one else is going to have the life that you want. Or it's going, you cannot live the life that you want if you don't go and get it. Amen. Right. And have, yeah, I don't know, that will maybe more than one tip. Perfect. <laughs> it's so perfect. It's so perfect. What's next sort of in, in your world? You mentioned you're working on, on a new on a new yeah, it's not one, it's five. So I decided that now it's all about time management because I think time is your biggest asset at the end. So I, I want to have five strips of income. So no, if something fails, you know, like, like the other will entail. Mm. So the world will. So first, I do believe that travel, vacation travel will come back. So I want to have and partner with more people and have a network of vacation rentals because mm. they pay for themselves faster and people want to 
vacation now more than ever and will do for several years to come, partnering with a few people to find the right vacation rentals and getting together and operate. And I'm happy that to announce that my first deal is closing today. So happy, happy, happy. You know how hard it is, <laughs> how much job, how much work does that take? Oh, Thanks a lot. So much. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it a lot, supporting other female entrepreneurs, like a lot. So I'm becoming mentor of several, well, I'm already mentoring several other women entrepreneurs. And right now I'm doing it for free, but eventually I'll charge for my time and still figuring that out. I am um, very excited that I'm, uh, I'm taking a job in a private equity company to manage in Latin America, to manage their real estate deals and help them find funding in affordable housing in Latin America, which is so hard, so hard, more than here. Wow. So that's going to be my nine to five. And then I might work with a friend of mine to get into e-commerce, but that's further down the road. I want to get things rolling and then I'll manage my time in that way. But that's it for now. That's amazing. That's amazing. And Clara, now, what piece of advice would your older self tell your younger self based oh. on your experience and what you learned now? Trust your gut, always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so important when you're not comfortable with a conversation, with a decision, especially in you know work, you really need to do something that you feel that something is wrong, something is wrong. And you need to be true to yourself all times, no matter what. When you don't, then things start collapsing around you and you need to be true to yourself and care for yourself first. Not from the individualistic part of the way, but <laughs> to, be, to be able to give everything that you have is full potential you need to trust who you are and trust your gut decision-making-wise and drink water and <laughs> be healthy. You know, but that is true because we, when we work, like we put, as I was telling you before, we put ourselves last always. So we sometimes don't eat well, don't sleep well, take care of everybody and we are always last. And sometimes that doesn't help. We then burn out. So like try not to get burned out. I love that. And now Clara, where can everybody find you and your awesomeness so they can keep <laughs> up with your amazing? Holy moly. I'm in social media, but I'm not like actively in social media. If you have access to my LinkedIn, they can reach out to me in LinkedIn if they want mentorship sessions. My Twitter is life is rock and roll because I did it back in the day when I was managing rock bands and whatnot. So I still keep it, but you know, now as an entrepreneur, but it's still a, a cute Twitter name. Look, I'm still a huge Metallica fan. Oh See? my God. You're so funny. Look at I'm that. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, those will be like my, my two favorite Twitter and um, Twitter and LinkedIn. You're so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and just your amazing, <laughs> you know, what you, your businesses, everything you've been up to. I'm just so excited for your future. And I can't wait to see your your five streams of revenue coming together. Hopefully one day becomes 10. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.